hidden behind closed doors. This is Beer and Beer Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Jason, what movie are we talking about today? Today we are going to discuss 1967's Columbia Pictures' The Lovins. Michael, what are we going to be drinking? We are drinking Lotso Peach 21 from New Glarus Brewing in Wisconsin. I brought this back from our recent trip to the Midwest. Cheers. Cheers. It's a brown sour with peaches. Beautiful brown color. Oh, yeah. As soon as you open the bottle, the room's flooded with peach. It's pretty incredible the amount of peach you get in this. This is delicious. I saw this came out, immediately purchased some over the phone, had a buddy pick it up, brought it back. Brown gives it a little bit of a funkiness. It's a brown sour, but it's not overly tart. It's just a slight tartness, a little funk, and then it's just overwhelming you with peach. It is refreshing. It really is. This is great. Mm. I was pretty confident that you were going to like this. If you don't like this, maybe it's like, I hate peaches, if you're that person. So it's just so good. It was a summer release. It is a perfect summertime beer. You can just, being back home in the Midwest, you know, sitting out friend's backyard, looking out over some fields, and same here. Got a nice summer day in Southern California. You could drink a few of these. Low ABV, I don't, I'm not exactly sure what it is, but it's, it doesn't say on the bottle. It's in the five. It's not crazy. It's not some big 10% beer. Uh, Can you get New Glarus out here? It's a Wisconsin beer. I, I can't get it in Iowa, across the river. New Glarus does not distribute outside of the state of Wisconsin. That's one of their things. They tried at one point, I think they distributed a little bit in Chicago, and then they said, no, we're done with that. And they only distribute inside. I grew up across the river from Wisconsin. I have to drive over there to get it. And here's the crazy thing. Every year, you can find a list of the top craft breweries in sales. New Glarus is always around the top 15 every year for craft beer sales by just distributing in Wisconsin. That is how serious Wisconsin is about drinking their beer. <laughs> this is delicious. We had one of theirs we on. Did. We had the triple, the triple seven uh, yes. for April Fool's Day. That's right. And that was a great beer. That was a great beer too. This is the second one. It won't be the last. I mean, I love this stuff. Anytime I can get a chance to put some new Glarus on, we're going to do it. So this is a reason to go out to Wisconsin. I can just give, a beer trip. I can give you a million reasons <laughs> to go, but absolutely, if you are ever in Wisconsin, it's just south of Madison, and I tell people, if you are in Wisconsin, and if you're a beer person, the grounds, look it up. The grounds are beautiful. They opened a new facility about 10 years ago. It's up on a hill overlooking the little uh, village of New Glarus. Absolutely stunning. The grounds, you can walk around with your beer and walk in these paths through small forests. It should be on every beer enthusiast list to go to New Glarus because it's awesome. And they have some beers there that you can't even get outside of the brewery. I go there and things get a little crazy. <laughs> I have to catch my breath and I go, okay, I'm budgeting this amount of money because I'm, I'm putting a lot of beer in the car. It's great though. But this this lots of Peach 21. I'm, I had to hold back from bringing like five each to this because <laughs> it goes down so easy. But anyway, on to something that's, for me, not quite as pleasant. We're going to talk about the love ends. And you're going to tell us this is your choice. You're wearing this one, buddy. This is definitively a B-movie. It was my choice. And as we continue on our B-movie journey, we do have to look at some B-movie exploitation genres. And one... <laughs> In the 60s, of course, production companies, movie companies, they wanted to cash in on the counterculture movement, hippies, drugs, psychedelics. 
So there was this rash of what you would call hippie exploitation. And movies. the rock music. Yeah, the rock, rock music was was changing absolutely. immensely. Oh, so absolutely. So we were always trying to get these hot new bands. Oh. And you had Roger Corman produce things like The Trip and <laughs> Riot on Sunset Strip and Psych Out. I being... do believe the director of this also directed Riot on Sunset Strip. He did. Arthur Dreyfus, Wild in the Streets. So even Otto Preminger, film noir. He directed a hippie exploitation movie called Skidoo in 1968. Everybody was trying to crash in. Of course, cinema is always reflective of what society is going on. And the producer, Sam Katzman, and his director, Arthur Dreyfus, they were older men. Sam Katzman was known as a B-movie producer. Look at his IMDb page. A huge amount of B-movies. And he was known, he would just scan what was in popular culture, and he's like, make a movie quickly, under $100,000, six, seven-day shoot, and make it before the popularity fades. And he was known as an on-set producer, so he'd be on set. There's these stories. I read some interviews. We'll link it out to show notes where if it was going long, and he would just come out and was like, we'll just take these sheets out. We won't do these scenes. It shows in this. It's a short movie. And the storytelling like, doesn't make a lot of sense. You don't see character development. There's just an edit, and then the character is a completely different person. You see no growth. You can tell it made fast and loose. Like we were discussing, he probably flipped through all these headlines about the hippie movement. It's like, we have to mention all these things in the movie, and somehow we have to tie a plot around it. So, spoiler alert, we're going to discuss all the details in the movie. Overall, it's about two students who are kicked out of college for the underground paper. Their English professor who believes this is an injustice and is going to side with them, he becomes part of this hippie movement and he becomes kind of a Timothy Leary character and at the it, end he's assassinated. <laughs> That's the plot of the movie. And he really was. They based him loosely on Timothy Absolutely. Leary who was an acid guru famous for his tune in, turn on, and drop out phrase. I do love the beginning because you get that early version of the quote-unquote crusty dean. The dean of this college is saying, you know, hey, you guys get one more chance. You're going to stop making this underground paper. Underground papers were a huge thing in the 60s. Yep. And they said, no, we're not going to stop our underground paper. You can't tell us what to do in that respect. And he said, well, you're expelled, which seems completely wrong. In fact, this chancellor, Dr. Pritchard, he says, these underground newspapers are causing disturbance all over the country. And I am not going to let it happen here. Now, these two <laughs> students... Larry, who's played by James MacArthur, otherwise known as Bookum Dano, you'll recognize him from Hawaii Five O, and Patty, who's played by the lovely Susan Oliver. They're in their thirties. I mean, they look like squares. They are total squares. The Chancellor, the Dean, whatever he is, makes it out like this newspaper is a menace to you know civilization. At no point do these people give off the impression or do we see something that's subversive. It is like the lamest subversive group I have ever seen. And besides Patty wearing a peace necklace, <laughs> Larry, he doesn't have long hair. He looks like he has a military haircut. <laughs> he looks like he should be a, a teacher at the school. I'll say this now because I, I'm instead of, you know, try not to repeat myself. This movie was clearly made by people who had no knowledge or experience of what young people were doing in, the, in that time. They were so out of touch because it's, it's laughable 
how they portray these this counterculture. You know, it was my choice, and I completely agree with you. I think Sam Katzman and Arthur Dreyfus, who clearly at this point in their life, they're in their fifty, late 50s, early 60s while they're making this. I picture them at Musso and Frank's smoking cigars saying, what did the paper say yesterday in the LA Times about hippies? Oh, they said banana, banana peels? Put that in the movie. Yeah, it's the equivalent today of somebody saying, oh, I saw this article. You ask about it and they go, I didn't click the link. That's what it is. I saw Timothy Leary on the cover of Time. The guy sounds like he might be trouble. Let's get a character like him in there. Yeah, the young people sure are crazy. What's with these underground papers? Yeah, Put that in the movie script. Yeah. Oh, a guy takes acid and he thinks he can fly and jumps to his death. That's something I heard when I was yeah, young. Exactly. And they have that in, in this movie. movie. They have, have it. That in there. And then for some reason, in the middle of the movie, there's a six-minute freak out. <laughs> I timed it. It's six minutes of this Alice in Wonderland riff that is so bad. It's a cinematic treasure. I honestly think that if if you got some young producers and directors now who had no idea of what the 1960s were like and you had them make a hippie movie, it would probably look just like this and yet this movie was shot in the middle of the movement they made no attempt to be like yeah, as realistic it, as it, it's your totally uncool uncle <laughs> trying to tell people about the tiktoks and, and you have to imagine besides some artistic movies made by small little production companies these big companies for making these movies even aip they just want to exploit Get kids in. They're part of the establishment. They're not going to sell you on this movement. We want to be able to get you in, sell tickets. We don't really care about this movement or at all. Well, and it's clear to me, Jason, that that's the case because I felt somewhat insulted by this movie at times. I'm not even trying to be funny. The whole movement of the counterculture ends up being wrong and bad and evil in this movie. I mean, honestly, <laughs> the first half of the movie is almost showcasing music, which I did kind of enjoy. And there's like a midpoint, and then it's almost like a late 1960s, early 1970s dramedy where it just changes, and there's like every negative thing you can think of. Here, and here, but here's character development. Dr. Barnett starts off, wears you know, the classic suit, coat, and tie, and he's dressed up as a professor. All of a sudden, there's an edit. The next time we see him, it's at one point, he's wearing a turtleneck. That's how you know... He's becoming this, like, quote-unquote guru and, and leader of this movement. So we know that Larry and Patty get removed from college. They're expelled. So Dr. Barnett stands up and believes this is an injustice. He says the university has no jurisdiction over a student's outside activities. So he resigns and with them, and he departs with them. And as he's walking out... There's already hippies out there. There's a huge crowd with signs. With signs. Celebrating him. him. That he's resigned. He is part of their Over principle. Yes. And so, and he says, don't make me a hero. I didn't do it to become a hero. I did it for my beliefs. And so next thing, he's on the Joe Pine show. Arguing his beliefs. Joe Pine was a real show on TV. He was a conservative commentator. I guess that's what you call them nowadays. He sort of pioneered the very confrontational. He'd have people on that were from a different background. So, you know, this like aggressive interview style. He was one of the first ones to do it. And he's got the professor and he is just being rude to the professor. Talking about the pornography and filth in this newspaper. None of which we ever see. Everything we see about this, the tomorrow's times. (laughs) So 60s. I have to bring this up. 
One of the band names is the Chocolate Watch Band, <laughs> which is only could happen in the 60s. You know, it's like Strawberry Alarm Clock, exactly. which was a real band, and the Chocolate Watch Band. Patty and Larry stand up. From the audience. They just look like a couple of squares from the suburbs. And I think <sighs> they have the same because as Dr. B, Dr. Barnett, becomes this cult leader, they have to articulate what his beliefs are. And he really believes that he's an advocate of the use of LSD. And Joe Pine asks him directly, do you advocate using this? And he answers in the affirmative. And he says, I'm going to cite research that backs this up. Right there, you could see that they grabbed Dr. Timothy Leary, who had did his PhD at Berkeley. He worked on the Harvard psilocybin. Is that the psychedelic term? Yes, yeah, psilocybin. He, yeah, psilocybin. The he worked on that study mushrooms. at Harvard. He believed that LSD was a useful tool in psychiatry. It was still legal at the They were looking at LSD as a possible something that could help with mental illness. And you can see that they looked at Timothy Leary with no deep understanding. like, oh, we need to make a doctor like him. Dr. Barnett says everyone has a right to do and say as they feel. I want to see people happy. And LSD opens up new vistas and experiences. Again, his whole thing when he does this cult, it's basically people should do what they want. That's the philosophy. It's such a lack of attempt. Joe Pine had a line when he says to the kids, you kids have too much freedom. (laughs) It is just such a wonderful thing to say. (laughs) This is America, buddy. Yeah. As a kid... Growing up in Orange County, in Southern California, in the late 70s and 80s, there was a person like Joe Pine in Anaheim, California, Wally George. And it was a rite of passage, Michael, for you to go on and be an audience member of the Wally George show. Generally drunk or high to sit in the audience. Why else would you go to something like that? <laughs> and so, of course... <laughs> You're going to subject yourself to some exactly. angry old white dude. I want to be wasted. <laughs> and so, I, w- I went in the audience at least twice after graduating from college years later. Because I did this while I was in high school. I'm working at a job. I'm wearing a suit every day. I'm in my mid-twenties, and someone came up to my desk, and they just said, Wally, Wally, Wally. And she said, late night last night, I saw a rerun of an old Wally George show, and you were in the audience, and I turned red. <laughs> so Joe Pine tells Dr. Barnett, hey, why don't you go live with these filthy hippies in, in Haight-Ashbury? So he goes to Haight-Ashbury. It's this awesome <laughs> montage of him walking around in his suit coat and being kind of pervy because he's watch he's in a park he's watching everybody like making out and yeah. snogging and moving chess pieces around for yeah, people yeah playing chess and they're playing music and they're just you know using tambourines poorly and they're being just hippies such like lame stereotypical hippies there's a tourist van I mean I know people would go on tours of Hay Ashbury back then you can sit to take walking but, tours but in that open bus thing this guy who's giving the tour he's He's speaking over in a microphone, and he goes, Most of these hippies manage to exist by begging and borrowing from the very establishment they vigorously protest. It's a complete filler scene. Like, you have focus groups, and you're like, Let's get a bunch of hippies to watch our hippie movie. At that point, I go, What? What? That's what you think? <laughs> you want? You think I want to see a movie that's just berating me? Exactly. My choice of life? So he decides, I'm going to get... in. 
up to my elbows in this. He ends up walking to that leaven at the park. This is a long section. This is they're trying to put everything that you would see in a hippie movie at this time, including two of the better songs. One by your favorite, the Chocolate, Chocolate Watch band, band, called Are You Gonna Be There? And the other one by the UFO's Hello World. And I honestly it's enjoyed a, that music. I, I did. I'm gonna say it right now. That's the only thing that I take from this movie. Yeah, because this is a long section that establishes nothing exciting. Like, this is what hippie life's like. And those two cops are walking around, the beat cops. It honestly reminds me of the two cops you'd see in any 1950s sitcom, like Car 54, where are you? They're just, no. like, walking around, completely oblivious. Absolutely. And and the, the portrayal of the police is interesting because they're almost these benevolent guardians of the hippies because you never they never really are busting the hippies no. or doing anything. I didn't live in the 60s. I wasn't born, but I've watched and read a lot about it. That didn't seem to be the case. There was a very anti-hippie vibe going on. And I think in this movie it's clear the police are not shown in a negative light at all. If anything, they're shown in a slightly comical light or basically just a very neutral light. We're like, hey, this is going on. There's really nothing we can do about yeah, it. We just let the hippies be hippies, man. That's, what, that's our job. And I think I'd mention to you the first time I met Jane is when Jan and myself were heading up to a wedding in Napa and we picked Jane up at San Francisco International Airport, and we went and had lunch on Haight-Ashbury Street. Oh, you have to. <laughs> of course. I, when the first time I went to San Francisco to Haight-Ashbury, yeah. before I even went to a bar. We went to a great beer bar. Got to pay your respects to Haight-Ashbury. The first time I ever went there, I was 16. We did a, I got my license, and we drove up there on the weekend, and we went to record stores. And I still have two of the records I bought there. I mean, I did. I had to hit Amoeba. Amoeba yeah. Records, you got to go. That's, that's the kind of the mecca. And I bought it. It was a CD. It wasn't an album, and I still have it. So the Tomorrow Times, paper. this subversive paper that's a threat to our the fabric of society, we see they're printing it off. They got the new issue, and the headline is, Love In, a big success. Ooh. And they're always going on about these editorials. You, you, did you notice that? They're always yeah. mentioning that. Larry starts dictating to Patty, who's always an assistant. She's really not her own woman. She is always the assistant. Even the, though she's supposed to be co-editor of this paper. Exactly. But she is writing. Whatever Larry's saying, she's writing what she wants. She's flowering it up. Dr. Barnett went on the Joe Pine show. <laughs> That's their idea of this really harsh editorial. It's, like, it's just laughable, man. It's and they had like one so, mimeograph machine. It was We're stupid. Like, <laughs> he was and, like, and they're cranking out a lot because we see later like thousands and thousands and, of and, these. I don't know who works for them. You only see one or two workers ever in the background, but to produce that, are, are Patty and Larry writing every single word of this paper? Do they I have mean, it's, it's basically a headline. Writers? Yeah, it's just a bunch of editorials. <laughs> so, but of course, Barnett shows up. This is just weird to me because he shows up. They kick me out of my apartment, yeah. but he wants to move to Haight-Ashbury. He's going to get an apartment. I found it odd that he said, oh, this is your paper. I got the impression that these guys were kind of had a relationship and he would have known where their scary underground paper is. Well, he's an English lit professor. I'm assuming that they both took his class. That's how they knew him. And he seems completely disengaged. It seems Patty, when she's flowering the language, likes Dr. Barnett already. That's the first and inkling that changes Larry's words to say the handsome Dr. Barnett. And he wants to live in the hate and he thinks he's going to get an apartment. And they go, that just doesn't happen. And then we get this like really lame 
music they talk about we can live in our house and we'll just musical chairs the rooms like these people will move in here and these people will move into the bathroom and then you can have you know jason and michael's old room and they'll move into here and it's so it's not funny no it's not funny at but all it's like, it reminded me they're trying to do a modern abbott and costello who's on first joke and, and it's like, interesting that all of this stuff around them has to change but the doctor gets his own room yeah. and larry and patty have their own room they don't share but everybody else has like six crammed into a room well i think honestly Honestly, Larry and Patty are the only people who are actually making any... I mean, I don't know how they make money. Maybe selling ads to the local head shop uh, in their paper. Oh, they come from rich parents. Yeah, that's I the, mean, that's clearly, they're trying to be part of this hippie movement and letting people live, crash at their pad. This is part of Dr. Barnett's transition to be... So the next time we His see him... speech. He, he's at a park. You run into a minister, and they're talking about the diggers... Who go around just getting food that's going to be thrown away otherwise and, and share it. But it, once again, is an example where Sam Katzman, Arthur Dreyfus, they were looking at headphones. The Diggers, it was a radical community action group in that area in 66 to 68 who lived in hate ashbury and did feed people. It did, in fact, derive from the English dig Diggers who were trying to develop in the 1600s this community anarchist group. And the only thing that reminds me when I was, when I was deep diving into that was that scene with Dennis in the Monty Python skip. I got that, but I also, when we get to Barnett, gives gives his first speech, and it reminded me of Brian in the life of Brian when he suddenly <laughs> has to start giving this speech to people. And he's, yeah. Barnett's speech is stupid and insipid. It's all these like lame platitudes, like, I think people should be nice and people should be happy. And of course, people worse than the hippies have to show up. The, bikers. A, a biker. <laughs> a biker gang shows up. And I mean, I'm not a motorcycle guy, but their their motorcycles are really not that cool. And they show up and just knock food off the table and, and say this, hey man, he's with it. Yeah. And he starts saying, you know, love your neighbor and this. And so one of them accosts Patty yeah. and a whole fight breaks out. This is where the police come in and basically they're grabbing more of the bikers. Yeah. And so Barnett gets arrested, which again, only adds to his reputation among these hippies because standing up to the man and so he's in jail and the hippies they make a bunch of signs and start protesting outside the, <laughs> the police station and they have a chant and that chant is barnett is, is right. right barnett <laughs> is right i think of the they live slogans <laughs> it, it was, yeah <laughs> and they're protesting and the woman from a magazine she has no acting skill yeah. whatsoever she and, is, and she recognizes patty and um larry because their face must be plastered over everyone well, for this they, underground newspaper. They were a dangerous paper, Jason. <laughs> and so she's asking them about Barnett, and then Barnett comes out, and he's immediately interviewed by people, and they're asking him questions because now he's he's the leader of a movement. This is this where the whole tale sort of takes off of somebody who gets corrupted by power. Yeah. He now kind of realizes people are listening to me. Yeah, because a reporter asked Dr. Barnett as he's departing the station, are you the leader of this new cult? And his response is, we hope to lead by being led ourselves. And it's the first time cult is mentioned in this movie. During this time period, cult, there was 
the hippie movement, people were exploring new religions. They were exploring new terms. Being being in a cult was not necessarily a badge of dishonor. Didn't have you know, negative you connotations. You could go at around and say you were in a cult. The Manson family murders is where that turned. Seventy one with his trial. That you, it's a little jarring to watch this movie where people just casually talk like, about the cult. You were on a cult, and he's not saying, "Whoa, whoa, it's not a cult." It, he's he's okay with it. So yeah. it's, it, it is interesting. It's just catching something the before and the after. On that scene, there was an old man who walks by, and it's the first time you really hear Elliot say anything, because that old man is asked by the reporter what he thinks. They should all be thrown into the army. <laughs> yeah, he's like, this riffraff, and Elliot says, why? Because you're too old to go yourself. That was reflecting the Vietnam War at the time. It was becoming less and less popular exactly. by the minute. And that's where you see Elliot, played by... Mark Goddard. Am I saying his last name? His first I think it's maybe Goddard. Goddard. I know him in Lost in Space. He played Major Don West during the whole run. Well, Elliot is, he's the shyster figure. He has no ideology. They're at the pad. Elliot's upstairs. He's getting stuff together. He comes down, meets the doctor, and they have bananas and lettuce. They smoke the banana peels and drink the green gravy. The green gravy has to do with the lettuce, I assume. I've never heard of that. I have heard of the smoking of the banana peel. It's a myth. It doesn't do anything. I tried it when I was young because you're stupid and you do things like smoke a banana peel. And the doc is clearly intrigued by this Elliot character. But we learn as this movie goes on, Elliot is just in it for the money. He will do anything. That guy will be working in Wall Street in 15 years after this. And this is where we see the beginning of the break between the doctor and Larry because Elliot moves in and wants to make him a costume. You because gotta cult leaders need a costume. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Your comment about working on Wall Street, because even Elliot makes a comment, we're going to make a lot of money. And besides, the market is up this week. And what hippie is going to say I that know. pro-capitalist term about the market and he wants to, he wants to have a happening love-ins love-ins b-ins whatever <laughs> and he wants to charge five bucks a head and yeah. this gets larry's attention where he's going whoa who's who's gonna pay that and elliot just doesn't seem to care and larry's going this sort of runs against our philosophy but the doctor is intrigued we go to this happening, and he comes in. He's got this guru outfit, the white sort of smock. He almost looks like a prophet in the costume. They made a throne for him in this love-in band playing, and her costume, she looks like a concert, and she sits lower she's, next to the She sits chair. at his feet. Yep. Elliot, the doctor, and Patty at this point are all dressing alike. Larry is to the right. He's dressed differently. He's wearing a dark shirt. We're getting the break. And Larry's becoming a little more disillusioned because, and it gets worse. Literally, this gets way worse because this is the scene where where Patty, she's tripping already. And we've talked about this because I kept hearing, it sounded like she said, hey, Elliot, do you have some grass? But she's not taking grass. She's taking acid. And he says, Don't, didn't you take enough? She's like, I want to get very far out. This moves into this at 38 minutes, 50 seconds, there's a band on stage doing this really awful song about Alice in Wonderland. And at that time, I think Surrealistic Pillow from Jefferson Airplane had just come out. Yeah. And they did you White know, Rabbit, White Rabbit which, like which, which talks about Alice in Wonderland. This band is doing this stupid song about uh, Alice in Wonderland. And Patty is tripping. And suddenly the lead singer is describing all the characters. And then he sprouts rabbit ears. Again, 38 minutes, 50 seconds, until 44 minutes, 50 seconds. That's six long-ass 
minutes. Oh, there is ballet of performance art. All Alice in Wonderland people theme. in the crowd like become the characters, and she's dressed as Alice in Wonderland. It's this awful choreograph and this horrible song. It's, it's, and then it becomes a little sexual. She loses all her clothes, and she's in a. I guess onesie, lacy singlet. All yeah, of a sudden, and she then yeah, then we <laughs> cue, we, cut, around. we cut back to reality, and she's like disrobing. Yeah. She's taking her clothes off, and the and the doctors doing nothing. All these, you know, Larry's watching, and he goes, "Whoa, this ain't cool." And he goes out, carries her home, and we go through this whole thing where she's wigging out, man. She's having a bad trip. This is another example where I'm sure Sam Katzman, Arthur Dreyfus were looking around, and Alice in Wonderland, written by Charles Dodgson under the name Lewis Carroll. All of a sudden in the 60s, it became the Grace Slick song for Jefferson Airplane, White Rabbit. It became associated with the hippie and drug movement. And so he probably saw that as like, we need to get an Alice in Wonderland skit. And this is Larry starting to really become disillusioned with this quote unquote movement. Confronts the doctor, kind of has to go through the Elliot layer because Elliot is with the doctor and he says, maybe this acid isn't, we're telling people to take this and it's, you know, can do harm. And the doctor doesn't really, he's still in his whole, man, do what you want. And Larry decides, I got to go walk around all night and see the hippies sleeping in the street. And this is his moment where he's breaking from the cult. He, he's had his own come to Jesus moment. You see the hippies sleeping in the street and this again is totally skewering this lifestyle because they're sleeping on a bench and they're out there and it doesn't look like cool, fun, loving anymore. And the camera angle changed. You notice that's yeah. all jostling Absolutely. while he's walking. Yeah. And the music switches from that hippie music to you where it sounds like it's the canned dramatic music that you'd find in Brady Brunch. It's a pivotal, like a PSA a, at this point. It's a pivotal moment in this terrible movie. So Elliot's scaling up. Yeah. Really fast. He doesn't want to just be in a park. He's thinking stadium. Yeah. He's going, we're going to, he's like, was it Colonel Parker or Elvis. Elvis? He's like, we're just going to run this dog until it drops. And so he's got this great idea. He's got costumes. He's always talking about, I'm going to make a costume for you, which is a, a costume is something you wear when you're pretending to be something else. Absolutely. Hey, thanks for pouring me some more of the new Glarus. Yeah, this lots of peach, man. Yeah. This is so good. It's not green gravy. It is. It is not. I still. That's one thing I hadn't. Heard. I had heard about the banana peels. I heard that myth too, and I looked it up, and they said it's one of the great drug hoaxes of all time. In fact, really pushed by one of these underground papers, which I'm sure that's the reason it was mentioned in this movie. Harry, the Harry, movie changes at the Harry, fifty minute point. Harry's with Mario. Yeah. Who her dad calls him a greaser. The one greasers the, and the socialists from the one, outsiders. One of the, yeah, but this guy is an Italian American, and True. I know that's like a slur yeah. towards Italian American. But he shows up to try to help his daughter. He's portrayed at first as just a, a concerned parent, but he he quickly just starts talking about squalor. This is again one of those things that you see in these movies where the parent comes just completely disapproving. You're living in sin. You're living with a man you're not married to. You're living all these people, African American couples sharing a room with them. And he just is like, this is how you live with, you know, kind of a these people moment. And they go, whoa, we're out of here, man. Remember that because this dude comes up again. So besides saying we have to hit all these types of things because there was a lot of youth who were going to these hippie meccas to get away from their very conservative upbringing. Haight-Ashbury went from like utopia to dystopia pretty quick. And to this day, I think still has some issues. But that father figure, they're not a part 
of the overall plot of the movie. And I think they're just put in like, oh, wait, we have to also address kids running away from their family and the father figure coming and addressing them saying, we disapprove. And of course... Her response is, you're just worried about your friends at the lodge. And that scene is right out of a TV series that you would find right at that time period. Even the music, like there's nothing to do with this movie. Larry and Patty have this big talk. This is their their relationship is ending because Larry has talked to Barnett, realizes Barnett doesn't really care. Larry sees problems in the movement. Because right now, the movement now has a chant. Sense more, be more, love more. <laughs> So Larry and Patty break up. He says, I'm leaving, but he's going to keep the paper in the basement of the house. And he's going to move out of the apartment. And they're planning. They've got the big happening is coming up. Going to be in a stadium. So we get the whole montage of Larry's putting papers up. You know, Barnett's a fraud. Barnett's a fraud. I mean, he's the only person working for his paper now. (laughs) Exactly. He's still in the house where all of Barnett's cult is. Outside the cult is in the streets. Everybody's loving Barnett. And Larry is like the one man against the storm going, he's a a fake. He's the phony prophet. And we do up a montage. There's Elliot. He's going around on a bus saying, hey, man, get the happening. Yeah. Get the your, get your tickets. This, this love end's happening, man. That scene with Larry and Patty was so quick. You realize that that's a big break in the film because she's going to still live with Barnett. He is not going to live in that apartment anymore, but he's still going to publish the newspaper. And clearly, she's not going to work for the newspaper anymore. And everything goes unsaid. I mean, it's like the most mild breakup because I'm like, are they, are they actually broken up at this point? He's still hanging out. Yeah. He's still in the building. <laughs> Barnett's having a free expression yeah. concert. Yeah. Patty, she comes and she's like, did I do the right thing? And he says, one must always do what one thinks is right. The cult is becoming complete antithesis of that hippie movement love because he tells them, hey man, do what you want. So that basically sends a mob to this park where, again, these guys are squares, but it's these guys playing an organized football game. And the hippies just storm in as a mob and like knock them out of the way and won't share space. It's, it's the funniest thing because if you think is. of big football players and hippies come in yeah. with Dr. Barnett saying, you know, these parks are yours. Take them. Use them. And it, Yeah, so it's becoming more militant. And once again, the police doing nothing. They, literally, they say, hey man, these guys just came in and busted up our game. The cop goes, there's nothing we can do about that. And they go, well, maybe we'll break their heads. And the cop goes, well, there is something I can do about that. But then they're like, we're going to break their heads. And yeah. then it's like mayhem. It's a, like the, yeah, the, the football go, team shows up on Hate Ashbury and beats the crap out of everyone. And, thi- and this is, again, where one of these like cliches, because there's this been the, throughout the movie, there's been this one guy who's just wasted all the yeah. time. That very first biker fight, oh, he's, he's walking around like he's, he's stoned and he, no, everybody's fighting around him. And you're like, oh, there's like, like Dobie Gillis walking around. This guy, he goes back, he takes acid, he goes back to the house to get more acid. And as this brawl, this riot is breaking out. And we should say brawl because the football players are clearly beating the crap oh, out of all the hippies. You know, and I gotta be honest. <laughs> I mean, there's one person looks like he's dead on the top I was, of the car. I, I was actually rooting for the football players at this point. But this one dude, Stoner McStonerton, he's in the window and he's yelling at everybody. He's like, hey, you stop it. And he goes, you know, I'm going to fly down there and, and, and knock some heads because there's this always a story about someone who took acid, thought they could fly, jumped on a window and died. That was one of the ways they tried to get you to not take acid. But this guy ends up doing that. He dives out of the window, and Larry's saying, hey, don't do that, man. And the guy jumps to his death. And at that point, it reminded me of the Anchorman scene, where after their big fight with the other newsmen, Ron Berg is like, well, that really escalated fast. <laughs> that escalated quickly. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> 
Larry confronts Barnett at this point yeah. and just basically says, hey, how, how long is this going to go on? Yeah. I mean, a guy just dove to his death with your yeah. whole do what you want. And Barnett just shrugs and, yeah. is, and is like, meh. Not my fault people are listening to me yeah. as I go out in front of, you know, charge them money to listen yeah. to me. Yeah. <laughs> and the next scene is really telling because Elliot's saying we only have one day to pack the stadium. We have a thousand pamphlets hanging out. And Dr. B, it's already sounding like him and Patty are couples. They're kissing. She says, I'm so proud and I'm so happy the past few weeks. Dr. Barnett runs on Larry and Larry's like, how about a copy of the Tomorrow Times tomorrow? Dr. Barnett, only 15 cents. I know you can afford that. And it's basically these slanderous titles about Dr. Barnett. <laughs> it's it's interesting because Barnett, at the end of that conversation, he, he says, I wouldn't give anything for that rag, like yeah. the terrible paper. And Larry goes, dude, you quit your, your job, job over this paper that you yep. hate. Barnett's, a, he's rehearsing and they're basically going to have a laugh track. The, a cheer track almost. Yeah, piping crowd noise. And he, and he even says, you know, there are going to be so many people, you know, they won't even know. And he goes, I need you to spread around he's the stadium plant. so you can chant at the same exactly. time when I give you my cue. I mean, everything is now stage choreographed and it's Elliot is running all these. I'm going to have a new costume for you. This whole movement is fake and phony. And then Harry's dad shows up for no reason. Yeah. I mean, (laughs) how do you talk to you, Dr. Barnett? Don't they have security? You mentioned security. Like Elliot is really poor on security because right there you see Harriet's dad just walking in. And then Dr. Barnett, well, I'll just marry them. His ego is just being fed yeah. more and more because he does, he gives him, you want to take a walk down the trail of happiness or something? Never heard of that. No. Nonsense. No, nobody has. <laughs> we find out Patty's pregnant. This gets dark because yeah. the doctor, she says, I'm pregnant. And she talks about the name. If it's a boy, it's a girl. He's like, you're not going to have a name. We're gonna, you're going to get an abortion. Dr. Barnett started <laughs> the movie where you're thinking, this is a solid, the benevolent professor standing up for his students. And by the end of the movie, you're thinking this is a narcissistic messiah type character who's all about himself. He doesn't care about anyone. And such a fast well, transition. I, it is. You see, Like I said, at no point. It's just there's an edit and he goes from wearing the suit coat to a turtleneck. Time. I mean, and he's getting to the point where he has... Giant Pat, medallion. And he has Patty writing a speech and he goes, you know, and then we'll finish it with live, let live, and so forth. She finally tells him off and she says, you know, Larry was right and he, Larry actually loved me. And he says, I'd like to see how much he loves you if he knew whose baby you're going to have. Yeah. What? This guy's going around preaching live, let live. That's he's preaching love. Live, 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 love, let live. And he's like, kill that baby. And I wonder how much Larry would love you. Like, and then he even says, Hoover said I loved you. And so she, she's like, I'm going to end it. Takes pills. And Larry saves her. And he throws a hook out of the window. and Because Larry's working right below there. I mean, clearly their apartment's like right above Larry's just hanging out watching his whole world crumble around him. He's like, man, he I, live, I live in a basement with my crappy paper. And so he goes up. She's killing her herself she's trying to get away from him she falls down the stairs paramedics come in this paramedic makes a diagnosis at the spot well, where he says she ain't gonna keep the baby well at first i thought she was gonna be dead i thought she i was thought gonna like be dead whoa too. but dark she, move but larry's just he's had it so and all this time they're filling a stadium but larry like he bails leaves hate ashbury goes and gets a gun gets to the stadium <laughs> goes in, goes, hey, is that the is that the door to the field? Yeah. Yeah, hey, Larry, come on in. And he walks in, boom. As Barnett's giving this speech, Larry gets to the front row. Fast. I mean, there's photographers or reporters next to him, and he just, like, whips out that gum out of I mean, look, he whips out the gun, he does it too fast. He whips out the gun and looks around, like, does anybody see yeah, and me? Does anyone else, me this gun Is anyone Dr. else holding Barnett? a gun? Are we all gunning? And so he shoots Barnett, and immediately this dude takes over the speech. 
And Elliot immediately sees new meal ticket. Yeah. This guy, listen to this dude here. Everyone's going, we got to get the hell out of the stadium. And a handful of cops prevents 70,000 people. Well, because it's not a mad out. rush. It's not something like... There are a not, lot of people leaving. Yeah. They're, they're exiting but, in mass. But they're, but they're exiting in a very orderly fashion. And this old cop is just stopped going, hey, nobody's going anywhere. But, cop goes, where where do you think you're going? And Larry stops and he goes, I ain't going nowhere. Gives him the gun. Yeah, and he pulls it out and he hands it to him like you would hand a weapon like properly. Like and here's, here's says, a you gun. shot the doctor? He's and like, he's, yeah, I made a martyr out of him. Just a fail. <laughs> just a fail. And that's the end of the movie. And I'm assuming they did the assassination based off of the assassination that took place in the 60s of political figures. I mean, once again, I'm sure Sam Katzman and Arthur Dreyfus put this assassination because you had JFK's assassination in 63. You had Malcolm X's assassination in 65. Yes, 65. Yeah, it ends on a downer, downer note that basically says, this movement that you believe in, look at the people who are leading this. Okay, Jason, (laughs) we've come to the point in the show where I ask you, would you recommend this movie? And do you think you'll watch this movie again? I know you do not like it. I want to hear it from you. (laughs) Okay, so first of all, I have to say this. I'm going to put a couple caveats before I make my answer. One. As we're going through and looking at this whole B-moving catalog and finding some movies that we haven't seen before or some movies that we want to share, there is some genres that we're going to have to look at. And I thought, oh, let's take a look at these hippie exploitation movies. Absolutely. Now, Easy Rider became an American classic. There's no way I would bring that up. So I started looking at movies that were similar that aren't covered a lot. And I looked at them all. I can't say any one of them is that great of a movie. <laughs> There's something silly and ridiculous about this movie. I, in fact, will probably watch it again. <laughs> oh, my God. And it is not a well-done movie. I think the script was pretty bad. I think it's funny. I think it's an example of someone trying to say, like, I have no idea what the hippie culture is doing, but I'm going to write a movie based on headlines. I enjoyed the actors. I mean... Susan Oliver, she was a delight to look at. If you're looking for a ridiculous movie to make fun of, take a look at this movie. It goes from this happy-go-lucky movie with some really good bands to this dark movie about, like, abortion, assassination. (laughs) Now, I'm going to ask you, and I know you have, like, a one-sentence response. (laughs) No, this, this movie's terrible. It has no point. It has no perspective. This is the worst movie we've watched so far. I think we both agreed prior to this that The Being, like, just a bad movie. Yes. But The Being had the, at least had the courtesy to not take itself too seriously. This movie takes itself seriously, and it can go kick rocks. This movie, I was insulted by this movie. It's terrible. Can't recommend it. I will never watch it. I would say go watch The Trip. Pick up Wild Angels. Even Easy Rider. It's think like you said, cover all these different genres. We should touch on all of them. We got it. Not everything's going to be great. No, I have to point out a couple things. One is that in diving in this movie, I did find someone who wrote their dissertation recently on hippie films for I it's the University of Bowling Green and I'm going to link out to the show notes cuz I thought it was a really good read that covered all oh. these types of movies. I enjoyed reading it. Susan Oliver, her background, do you have to point out, as kind of a Star Trek nerd, like 
She she's was the green girl. She's the green girl. Yeah, and the end credits. She's the she's green, green girl. Uh, Orion. Like here's my nerd card. The Orion slave girl in all the end credits. She didn't play it in that episode, but she's in the end credits, and she was an initial um, unaired pilot with Captain Christopher Pike. But I'm, I will say we could agree on one thing, right? I'm 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 100 uh, recommending the Lots of Peach 21. If you oh. know somebody, get out to Wisconsin just if, yeah for if, this. If, like I said, if you're a beer enthusiast. New Glarus should be on your list of places like people go to ballparks, go to New Glarus. You won't be disappointed. If you know somebody in that area who can get you the beer, do it. This thing is delicious. It is so good. I I hated this movie so much. There was a a moment where I was going to pull this beer off it and get a beer I didn't like. Or a beer that I thought was meh. But then I thought, no, that's not nice. This does the peach comes through so well it's a perfectly crafted beer even if you're not a sour fan i think you could get with this beer because the sour is not overwhelming it's got a nice funkiness and a great fruitiness it's a damn good beer it is thank you for sharing this is oh yeah this is great absolutely and i have to i have to point out after 30 plus episodes this is the first movie where we have taken distinct sides So we've had a pretty good run. I think so. I mean, I don't think we were always on uh, completely in lockstep, but yeah, this is one hundred percent. I no, this movie sucks. You know, I'm done, done with it. So when we do ours, maybe in the future, future hippie exploitation special episode. No, you. I will sit here in silence and let you talk for however long you want to talk. I will just drink heavily. And go, I don't wanna I don't wanna deal with this movie ever again. <laughs> so please like, subscribe, and comment wherever you listen. Follow us on Instagram, Facebook, and Twitter. And check out our website. This is Beer and B Movies. I'm Jason. And I'm Michael. Be more, sense more. Love more.